Welcome to the Modern Manifestation Podcast. I'm your host, Bree Brown, a business mindset coach, entrepreneur, and a top competitor in a male-dominated industry. I'm a native Texan, the youngest of all brothers, and a lettuce-hating, wine-loving, curses-like-a-sailor recovering perfectionist. I've spent over a decade building my commission-based career, and my life's purpose is helping other women achieve the same multi-six-figure success I achieved before I was 25. I have a passion for helping women with mindset, money, and manifestation skills to help every young woman realize her full potential. If you're looking for vulnerable conversations, professional development, inspiration, or even a kick in the ass to get you motivated, you have come to the right place. Thanks for checking out the Modern Manifestation Podcast. Now let's jump right in to today's topic. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me in my fourth episode of the Modern Manifestation Podcast. Today, we are going to dive into perfectionism. And I also have a blog post about this very topic. So if you don't have the ability to listen in now, or if you want to send this to someone that is not someone that listens to podcasts, feel free to go to my website and send them a link to Battling Your Inner Perfectionist blog. So let's talk about why I wanted to bring this topic up so early on in the podcast series. And the biggest reason is because we talk a lot about limiting beliefs and the impact they have on our ability to manifest. And perfectionism is caused by a series of limited beliefs. And they keep coming up for so many of us, in particular women, that I wanted to make sure we address this early on to at least get you started on your path towards working through a few of these things. Because if you're anything like me, you might not currently, or maybe even in the past, realize that you're a perfectionist. Because the misconception is that a perfectionist is someone that strives to be completely perfect, or that is perfect. But in reality, a perfectionist is someone that has a strong need to control how they are perceived And it's essentially the appearance of being perfect. And before I got into commercial real estate, I was actually a manager of another sales company. And I was the one in charge of interviewing all these different people as potential candidates for a sales position. And what was fascinating to me is how many people would use perfectionism as like a humble brag. So I would ask them, you know, what is a, everyone asked that question, right? Like, what is your flaw or what's your biggest flaw (laughs) or what's the time you messed up, whatever. And so many people would like do the little hair flip and they'd be like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. And they'd kind of like, you know, giggle or whatever to themselves. And it's funny because on the one hand, we conceptually know that being perfect is not possible. You can't actually achieve that. And that it's something that you shouldn't strive for because it can hold you back. But on the other hand, it's easy to become narcissistic about being a perfectionist because you've spent so much time and energy cultivating this appearance of someone that has such high standards that you tend to judge people that don't hold those same standards. 
And so it's fascinating to me that people would mention this, again, as like a humble brag for one of their flaws. And so that's initially when I started looking into this. And I want to talk about why perfectionism is bad. And to be completely honest, not all perfectionism is bad. So many of us, I would say most of us, have a little bit of perfectionist qualities to us. No matter who you are, it comes up somewhere in your life. And for some people, it might be on the the far end of the scale, right, where it comes up in almost every field of their life, relationships, jobs, hobbies, whatever. And then for someone else, it might just come up in like one of those things. And psychologists have identified two types of perfectionism, adaptive and maladaptive. In short, adaptive perfectionists, I would more or less say that this is like the recovering perfectionist group. They allow the perfectionist trait to express itself in a more healthy way. And so they do that by setting clear boundaries. They don't allow their perfectionist tendencies to get in the way of progress. And these people are also the minority of the group. The other group is the maladaptive perfectionists. And these are the people we're focusing on in this podcast episode. Throughout this episode, I'm just going to say perfectionists because maladaptive perfectionists is just so much, is just more awkward to keep saying over and over again. And these are the people that have an unhealthy need to control how they are perceived by other people. And so I realized that I was a perfectionist through the symptoms that come when you are a maladaptive perfectionist or perfectionist. And for me, that was anxiety issues, self-worth issues, BFRB issues. And if you don't know what that is, that's body-focused repetitive behavior. So that could be something like skin picking, biting your nails, keeping your hands in your hair at all times. They're just things that often happen without you actively or consciously trying to do those things. And all of these are symptoms of the mental burden that the perfectionist quality is putting on your mental health. And so it's expressing itself outwardly in some way. And the symptom of self-worth and anxiety is a symptom for majority of perfectionists, or it's at least an underlying cause or symptom thereof. And you might not consciously connect these things together. You might not be cognizant of having self-worth issues, or you might have some idea that you have anxiety, but it's like very high functioning. And so maybe you're just, you're comparing yourself to someone that's very outwardly anxious and you're like, oh, I'm nothing like them. Don't worry. I got this, but it's still showing up for you in other ways. And maybe you're just now starting to work through that. And these limiting beliefs are coming from a subconscious belief that you see yourself as the mistake. And so you look externally to correct this issue because you have shame about not being a perfect person. And this is often because there's some experience you had either as a kid or later as an adult. At some point in your life, there was an instance where someone made you feel less than because of something that really wasn't within your control. Or maybe it was within your control, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And so they were, for whatever reason, and usually it's because they have their own stuff going on, but for whatever reason, they really came down hard on you and made you feel less than or not valuable or gave you some sort of indicator that you were not enough. And so from that point on, you tend to say, that'll never happen to me again because I'm just going to become a perfect person. So that way, no one will ever tell me again that I am less than and I have to control this in every aspect in order to prove to myself that I'm worthy, and in order to protect my ego and my self-esteem because I can't go through that again. 
Additionally, perfectionism is also a symptom of a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset means that you are someone that believes that everything about you is predetermined by your genetics. It's how you were born. And they cannot be improved with experience. And so these examples of this would be your IQ, your athletic ability, your artistic ability. I mean, any one of those things. You feel that if you are not naturally gifted at doing any one of those things, then you're shit out of luck. You're done. And people can't possibly find that out about you. And so you absolutely need to control the narrative to make sure that no one ever realizes that you're dumb or that you're not athletic or that you're just not a good artist. And so you either do one of two things. You either avoid ever doing those things in front of other people or you just go into it saying, oh, I just really suck at this. Like that way you're owning it on the front end because again, it's all about control of the narrative. So if you're the one saying it on the front end, then that means that whatever other people say about it as you're going through the process isn't going to hurt your ego because you've already put that precedent out there. It's all about controlling that narrative. And so my example of this was bowling. When Evan and I first started dating, we went on one of our first dates to a bowling alley. He's a very avid bowler, by the way. And I just thought it was going to be like a really casual evening. We'd you know grab some beers, bowl. I was shocked because this was not, there was nothing casual about it in my mind because Evan rolls up literally with a bag on wheels and he has a bowling ball that is custom fit to his fingers and weighted based on how he throws this ball. And he has his own bowling shoes and a rag and like all the other things. And I was just like, holy shit, I, I barely know this guy. This is like our second or third date. And we go to the bowling alley. I think it's going to be super casual. And this guy clearly bowls often. And so all of a sudden, I, my identity of being perfect was being threatened. And so I felt the need to tell him on the front end, I'm just really not good at bowling. So don't expect anything. He was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then as we were bowling, it was very clear from the beginning that this was not something that I was good at. Because I'd only were bowled like three times in my life before that point. And so about after three or four bowls or throws, I don't know what you would call that, three different times that it was my turn, <laughs> three different turns, I don't know. After a few of those, I started just throwing the ball kind of however. I was like, let me try my left hand. Let me do underhand, overhand, just seeing how things go. And I really wanted to use bumpers too, and he wouldn't let me. And I got so mad internally. I, of course, it's like third date, so I didn't want to like show him that yet. And so I was internally getting really angry with myself for not being good at this sport. And so inevitably, I just started like throwing the ball at all these different angles, just being very clear that I wasn't actively trying to be good at something because for whatever reason, I felt like that fit the narrative of, oh, well, I own it and I control it by not trying, then I can't be judged for not being perfect at it. And so this is where a lot of perfectionists will see this come up for them because it's terrifying to consider that you might not be smart enough or athletic enough or artsy enough or creative enough or whatever that is maternal enough is one that I had a, a client recently say. And because of this fixed mindset, this is why so many women are less likely to take risks and begin new ventures for themselves, like starting a new company or a new hobby or getting into an industry that they're not necessarily comfortable in. It's because when you take a risk, there's that high increased potential for failure, right? And you're already so fearful of failure because 
God forbid you fail at something because that then set that's crippling to your ego, right? That says that you cannot be good at something. And that is such a blow to the controlled perception that you're trying to create with other people. And that's also why, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like women have to exhibit 90% of the qualities required on an application in order for them to actually go after it and apply for that position. Whereas men only have to feel as though they are 20 or 30% of those same qualifications in order to go after that same position. Huge difference. And a big part of that is because we fear failure and risk so much more because of how we've been conditioned. And a lot of times that is directly related to our perfectionist qualities. So hopefully you see why this is such an important topic to discuss, not only here in this podcast, but with your friends as well, because it's manifesting itself both mentally and physically in a lot of different ways, from anxiety to stress to BFRB symptoms, any of those. But it affects women the most. It affects our friends, loved ones, coworkers, you name it. And I'm passionate about discussing this topic because I want women to reach our true potential. And I truly feel as though we will have gender equality once women are able to step up and own the shit that they want to get done. We step into our own greatness and allow society to become much more well-functioning as a result. And so we need to release these fixed mindsets and have the courage to do so in order to go after the things that we want and set that precedent for the next generation of female leaders. And it is hard and it is terrifying to look in the mirror and really try to discover what your limiting beliefs are and then break them down. And to do so, we need courage, bravery, boldness, and we need to get over our perfectionism in order to chase our dreams. So how do you know if you are a perfectionist? There are many indicators of a perfectionist, and we'll just cover the main themes. The first one is over-attention to things that don't matter. We have a tendency to obsess over tiny details. Maybe you have a scuff on your wedge that you notice as you're walking through the office and you look down, you're just like, oh my God, how long has that been there? Everyone is judging me for it. Maybe they think I'm not as put together or that I can't afford new shoes or whatever that narrative is for you, right? The narrative is not as important. It's the fact that you're obsessing over these tiny details. Or maybe it's that you sent off a Excel spreadsheet to your boss already, and then you notice that the columns are not equally spaced. Or maybe there was a comma instead of a period in one of the notes. And the difference is, is that instead of looking at these details and going, oh, well, it is what it is, and just let it go, you have a tendency to beat yourself up over it. Because, oh no, God forbid, they might see through my perfection and see right through to my mistakes. And then that has the ability to shatter my entire identity. And so you obsess over these tiny little things because of what you think the other person might be thinking of about you or what what you think that says about you. The second one is black and white thinking. And this is the one that I struggle with more than all of the others. (laughs) It's the one that really keeps me from just like, completely feeling like I'm in the the recovering perfectionist zone, right? And even, honestly, even that is a black and white thought, right? Completely being a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) 
God, I didn't even notice that before I said it. So as you can tell, it's something I'm still actively working on. And black and white thinking means that you don't allow yourself that room for the gray area, right? So just using my own example, I obviously just said, this issue is what's keeping me from being 100% a recovering perfectionist. Well, that's not really true, right? Because I'll never 100% be a recovering perfectionist. You'll always ebb and flow between the two. And you're trying to find that gray area or that area that's like the perfect balance of, yes, there are some of those tendencies coming in, but also they're not holding me back. Like That's the area you want to be in. And the gray area is completely fine, but so many perfectionists don't allow room for it. And it's a very tough line to walk because we know perfectionism doesn't exist, and yet we allow it to have so much control over our lives and over our decisions. And so examples of this might be, I'll use another example of myself, nutrition. If I ever start a new diet, it's always on a Monday because it's the start of a new week. It's a fresh start. And for whatever reason, in my mind, Mondays are the days that I start new diets. And actually, I should be saying clean eating or a lifestyle change, right? Because the word diet now has a very negative connotation to it. So anyways, but Monday is that day for me to do that. And if Monday comes and I have a work happy hour scheduled, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, Monday's out the window because there's that happy hour that came up. And I can't possibly live in the gray area, which would allow myself to go to that happy hour and then just get right back onto my diet both before and after and just stick to it otherwise right? Instead, what my brain does being on this black and white thinking pattern is, oh, well, guess I'll just have to start next Monday. Not Tuesday, not Wednesday, the next Monday. Maybe for you, it could be something like New Year's resolution. You are in week two or three and you make one hiccup and then all of a sudden you're like, well, out the window, it's done. I'm done. We, we tried, we failed, and now we're done with our New Year's resolution. And that's why so many people end up giving up on them so quickly. The third indicator is procrastination. This is probably one of the biggest signs that you're a perfectionist. And we used procrastination because the, oh, I didn't have enough time excuse that we tell ourselves and other people is a way to protect us from failure. And the reason we do that is because we either have one of two outs, depending on what we need. If we did poorly on something or we feel like we failed at something, then it's okay because you didn't have enough time to finish, quote unquote, right? Because you pushed it till the very end and had to rush to do it. But if it does turn out well, then you're excited because, oh, it could have been so much better if I just had even more time to finish, right? So you can see how procrastination helps you because it protects your ego. You have an excuse no matter if the project goes well or if the project goes bad. So start noticing your own patterns around time management. Are you waiting until the very end to do something? Or are you perhaps starting with the things that are really easy and not getting to the core of the work until the end? We all have that project where we do the things that we know we can knock out easily, aren't going to require any effort, and can we can just get done, bam, bam, bam. But when it comes to the core content, that's actually going to decide whether or not we are a success or a failure for whatever this project or thing is. That's when we push it off to the very end by doing all of these easier things first. And we tell ourselves all kinds of stories. Oh, well, I'm just going to get all these little things done. That way I can really focus on this or because I think they're the most tedious. There's all kinds of excuses we give ourselves. 
And maybe instead of diving into the project itself, all of a sudden you need to clean the kitchen or organize your closet or get your car cleaned or watch this Netflix documentary that you really think will give you a a jump start on the topic or whatever it is. (laughs) You find things intentionally that for whatever reason, you decide you need to get this done before you can start. And when you start to notice that you're putting these self-imposed obstacles before you're able to initiate something, that's a big sign. The fourth one is a need to control your outward appearance or your image, also known as your reputation. And we talked about this a lot earlier, but the biggest cause for this is social media. Everyone has the highlight reel of having the perfect lifestyle, the perfect clothes, whatever. We get to see a glimpse into these people's lives, but only like the 1%, if even, of what is actually going on for that person. And so I like to think of those photos where it looks like someone's on the airplane, but then they like zoom out and show you what's the actual reality. And it's like something they set up at home with like a poster in the background. And then they put like a little tube around it to look like the window. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel like perfectionism is. That picture that's posted on Instagram is what you're trying to put out there to the world. But then that picture that's zoomed out is the reality. And your reputation is such a great way to protect your ego that you feel the need to focus and control the narrative of what other people are seeing. This also comes up a lot because perfectionists are more often than not people pleasers. Maybe you felt like you didn't do the best on a project or there just was a miscommunication and all of a sudden it was thrown back in your face. And after that moment, you have this strong need to control how everyone else perceives you. This can be in the workforce, in your family, within a friend group. It doesn't matter. This not only increases that need to control the image, but it also makes you a bigger people pleaser because you want to avoid and make sure that that situation never happens again. And so you become a people pleaser to put off any potential conflict or to put off any potential scenario that might make you look less than or unvaluable. Because again, you want to make sure that whatever it was that happened never happens again. And so we become obsessive about this need to control the perception. The fifth one is micromanagement. Perfectionists struggle with micromanagement. And we know that micromanagement is the sign of a bad leader, right? No one wants to be a micromanager. But the reason it happens is because we've been conditioned to worry about what other people think about us constantly. And we know that whatever or whoever is working with us, the content that they put out is a direct reflection on us. And so then we start to think, well, what if my level of detail isn't good enough? Or what if they completely fuck it up and don't listen to any guidance that I'd given them? Or it could come out in some other way. So you have all of those questions already, but maybe you still go ahead and give them a chance. Then you're asking yourself, or then you're telling yourself, well, you know what? I'm just going to give them a quick visual, like back of the napkin visual, to make sure they know exactly what it is that I'm looking for. And you know what? Let me go ahead and just add this little tidbit of information. That way they can put that quote in there as well. And you know what? Maybe I should just go ahead and set up the template myself and then let them put the information. And you screw it. You know what? I'll just do it myself. It'll be faster if I just do it myself, right? (laughs) Maybe that's something you've done in the past. It's kind of like the group project example. 
if you are ever the person that ends up doing majority of the project and the other people just know that they can just sit back and relax, it's more often than not because the person that does that is the perfectionist. They're the one where their reputation is most at risk if that project doesn't go well because they take personal responsibility for everything, right? It's not the other two, three, four people in the group. It's all going to come down on them in their mind because of their limiting beliefs. And if you actually do allow someone to do the work for you, you might be checking in on them constantly, or you might be wanting to control the details so strongly that you come up, look over the shoulder and say, well, what about this font? What about this size? What if we do it this way? To an obsessive extent, right? Remember that first one I talked about? Obsession over tiny details. That's where these two things really start to marry together. And what's crazy is a lot of perfectionists have to stay busy. We have to keep our time consumed with all of these things because, again, that helps our procrastination side. If we have all these things going on, then it's so much easier for us to blame not getting to something based on how busy we are. And so with that being the case, when you're micromanaging, you're putting more onto your plate by doing that. And we're already so busy as it is. And this easily creates a scenario where you can't slow down and ensure that the final product actually is flawless. And so it's funny because you are struggling to control the end result to make sure that it's absolute perfection, which goes along with your ego and your identity and the appearance that you need to put out there. But what usually ends up happening is that you put, you add so much time to the production process and you procrastinate and you get down to that final few hours and you don't even have the time to look over the details to make sure that there aren't any mistakes. So it actually makes your whole issue worse then you might have that moment where your reputation is threatened and that causes you to cycle even further into perfectionism. Additionally, this hurts your relationships with others because someone else is going to look at that and say, oh, they don't trust me or they don't value me or they don't think I'm capable. So it not only hurts yourself by putting you in a position where you can't let go, you're obsessing over tiny details and maybe you're pushing your timeline a little too tight, but it's also causing the people around you to feel stressed, to feel less than worthy, and they can't help but see your need for control as a personal attack on their abilities or lack of trust in their abilities. And while that's not our intent, that's often how it comes across. And I was still learning this up until about eight months ago. I was on the board of a nonprofit and I had this hyper need to control every little detail about the position that I was in to the detriment of the event itself. And so thankfully, I was able to learn that lesson now when, you know, I'm fairly early in my life, but I feel as though that's hurt my relationship with the people that I was working with. And that's not something that I ever want to have to go through again. And it's not something I want you guys to have to go through. So get in front of it by trying to work on these things now. The next indicator is judgment. And this is a really tough one because like I said earlier, We are very insecure. Most perfectionists are very insecure about themselves and have a need to control that image and make sure that people like them. It's that perfectionism thing. It's that outward appearance. It's that perception. And like I said, we also have a tendency to be narcissistic because we're judging other people harshly for not meeting our ridiculously high expectations that we've self-imposed. And so we tend to make comments like, oh, I would have done it so much better or wow, they're wearing that to this event. You're very judgmental, not because you actually care what the other person has done or what they're doing, but because you feel as though that's not something you could do because 
you're ashamed about the reputation that you would put out if that were the case. Because again, you have such a strong need to control other people's narrative about you. And for me, this came up a lot, especially when in the workforce with the clothes that I wore. I was always terrified to not show up to work looking completely put together. And I would get angry when other people would come to the office and I didn't feel that they looked as well put together because before I'd worked through my limiting beliefs, my thought process consciously was, well, they just don't care enough. But subconsciously, the issue was, is that I didn't feel like I belonged. And so I felt the need to put on this persona via my, my clothing and every, my accessories and everything else. So I had to put on this persona of all of those things in order to feel like I fit in. And how dare someone else have the confidence to not worry about that and to just show up completely authentically as they are. Looking back on it, I know that that's what was actually going through my mind. And I feel bad for the people that I, were ju- I was judging at the time. And I tell you this because I don't want you to think I'm a shitty person. <laughs> you know? or I have tried to work through these things. But I bring this up because for me, that was just such an example of, wow, that was actually why I was being so judgmental in these areas of my life. And that allows you to step outside of a situation and say, who have I unfairly judged because of insecurities that I have? And it's a very powerful place to be able to step into. And unfortunately, a lot of times this judgment is extending to the people that are closest to us, our partners, our family members, our closest friends, our, or even our coworkers. And so it's not fair to them. So it's really important that we work on these things for ourselves because we're not bad people, right? We just have these limiting beliefs that are coming through and maybe we just haven't identified what has caused it in the past. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking of examples where you're extremely judgmental of people, press pause and maybe start to work through that a little bit. Think about, is there something related to my own vulnerability or shame that's coming through here? And funnel that back and see if you can figure out the underlying limiting belief. And it's not going to be super obvious at first, so be patient with yourself and allow yourself to work through that. The seventh and last indicator of perfectionism, at least that I'm going to go into in this podcast episode, is struggling with feedback. And note that I did not use the word negative. Perfectionists struggle with any feedback, and we tend to reject it. Positive or negative, it does not matter. So if we get positive feedback, we might say things like, oh, thank you so much, but I actually got help from so-and-so, or it wasn't really me, it was the whole team, or, well, I actually could have done what I could have done way better, but you know, thanks. And it's like this half-assed thanks. And the reason we do this is because we're looking for even more acknowledgement from them. We need even more to feed our ego. So we feel the need to say these things so that we get more from the other person. Continue to tell me how how good I was because I need that to fuel my ego and my self-esteem because we're not fueling it for ourselves. And if the feedback is negative, usually we either completely shut down and just don't really hear much after that, or we become confrontational because again, shame is coming in. And a lot of times when we're being confrontational, it's because we're afraid of being found out. It feels like our entire identity is being put into the fire. And both of these scenarios make us attack ourselves from the inside for whatever reason. And so when it comes to feedback, positive or negative, if you realize you're doing either one of these things, take a moment, figure out why it is that you're responding the way that you are, 
And if you realize that you are a perfectionist, welcome to the majority of the population. So you're listening to this podcast and you're probably like, okay, fine. I'm a perfectionist, or at least I have some perfectionist tendencies throughout these areas of my life. You're probably wondering now, well, how the hell did I get here? I didn't intentionally set out to be this perfectionist. I didn't intentionally set out to have these deep issues with either self-esteem or my appearance to others or being a people pleaser or any one of these things, right? And there's thousands of reasons why you could have got here. I mean, we think of any limiting belief that could have come around from your parents, your grandparents, your teachers, your coaches, whatever. There are so many different scenarios which could cause someone to become a perfectionist. And I'm not a therapist, but experts in psychology have identified plus or minus about four major causes of perfectionism. It's our school systems, our ability to cope with negative emotions, social media, and the values we were taught. Jumping into the first one with school system, a lot of times this happens because we were trained as kids to achieve a certain grade, or we had a million standardized tests that we had to take, and we had behavior charts. And so we were always being compared to everyone else around me with a very fixated goal, right? It's like you had a number that compared you to Susie or Mark or whoever. And so we're trained to compete for these fixed grades or percentages because they dictated our success and our ranking and our value within that classroom. And so many of us took grades as a direct indicator of how valuable we were, maybe not consciously. So maybe you're one of those people where you got an 89 or an A minus and you beat yourself up over it. Or if you didn't consistently get both A's and B's in your report card or even just A's, you were extremely disappointed with yourself. Using an example of myself, whenever I was in high school, my chemistry teacher would put together origami swans and she would set them on the desks of the people that got A's on their chemistry exams. And she's extremely well-meaning, right? Usually when people are giving us this feedback, especially in the school system, whether it's other parents, teachers, coaches, whatever, they usually mean well. And that's exactly what this chemistry teacher meant. She meant well. And I was always so proud when I had one of these swans on my desk. But when I didn't, it was crippling for me. And I could not help but sit there for the remainder of the period and just reflect on the fact that I was not good enough on that exam. And I didn't give a shit about, well, okay, I did love the origami swans, actually. (laughs) I kept them and put them together and hung them up on my ceiling. But it wasn't the origami swan that I genuinely cared about. It's paper. If I really wanted one of those, I would make it myself. But it was what that swan said about me and my value, and it showed everyone else in that classroom how smart I was. And without that validation, my self-esteem would take a huge hit. And for a lot of us, the school system, we see it as our way out. Maybe you have a bad family life, or maybe you grew up on the poor side of life, or maybe you were made fun of, so you need to prove to everyone what you're actually worth. For whatever reason, you could look at school as being your way into college and looking that as your way out. And at this point, with where I am in my life, I realized that I didn't need to go to college in order to be successful. But at that time in my life, in high school, or throughout the school system really, I had the belief that I needed to go to college in order to be successful. Because that was the the narrative that I was taught growing up, and I just never questioned it. And so people with this school is my way out mindset 
are much more susceptible to perfectionism because every grade is a direct indicator as to whether or not they will be valued later in life or if they'll be able to prove all of those people wrong, whoever those people are, or this is my way to get out of poverty. And that's a lot of pressure that they put on themselves. And with the grades we get in the school system, it perpetuates that grade validation. The second one is negative emotions. Toxic masculinity is being talked about right now a lot. But did you know that this is a huge cause for perfectionism? The reason this is, is because we've already talked about the limiting beliefs that are formed and what this says about our values and our appearance and the need to control the perception. And a big part of that is because, again, we had some something happen to us at some point in our lives that told us that we were less than. And so this is where negative emotions come into play. Perfectionists are made because we cannot, or often we cannot manage negative emotions. We were never taught the appropriate responses to have when a scenario like that happens. So anytime you experience something that causes you to question your self-worth and your identity, if you don't have the ability to work through that by managing your negative emotions, Instead, you could store that up. You could go the complete opposite route and say, I will just control everything so that this never happens again. And so perfectionists were often never taught to experience grief, anger, disappointment, not only for other people, but allowing themselves to experience those emotions and then just forgiving themselves and moving through it. And unfortunately, our parents, often of a different generation, would attempt to suppress or distract us from the pain. So if something happens, you know, our culture uses food a lot. Oh, you're not feeling good? Let's go get ice cream or let's go to your favorite restaurant or whatever. They would try to medicate with things outside of addressing these negative emotions. And so instead of sitting with us and allowing us and teaching us how to work through these negative emotions and just saying, yeah, you know what? That sucks, but it's okay. Instead of doing this, they're trying to distract us with all these other things for us to focus on. So maybe they're shifting our focus to food. Maybe they're shifting our focus to the the movie theaters or whatever it is, right? Suppress and distract was a huge tool for a lot of our parents to use with us. And unfortunately, that also perpetuated the perfectionist issue that we've had. And this also ties back into the people pleaser aspect that we talked about earlier. Because oftentimes when you don't know how to handle negative emotions, it's not only within yourself, but with other people. And so you tend to want to avoid negative emotions. And so what happens when you try to avoid negative emotions is you avoid confrontation and you avoid asking for things that you want that you're uncomfortable asking for. So it puts you in this position where you're just avoiding a lot of different things which just allows you to fall further and further and further into this perfectionism issue that that most people struggle with. Third one, social media. We talked about it a bit earlier, but this is the Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, etc. It's extremely refined. It inspires competition and envy from other people. And it is a perfectionist's ultimate self-destruction tool. Because what better way to compare yourself than to go on social media and see how perfect everyone else is, which inevitably shows us how imperfect we are. And unfortunately, when we're looking through social media, we're not looking at through the lens of, oh, these people just appear perfect, right? Because in the moment, we just think, wow, these people are perfect. That's just where our brain goes. 
And then we have this crippling moment of, but I'm not those things. And so therefore I am not. And the fourth issue that's really led to perfectionism are the values that we were taught. And like I said earlier, parents, teachers, coaches, mentors, etc., they are usually well-intended people. But the language they used with us, especially as kids, is unfortunately what caused a lot of us to step into that fixed mindset. And so they might have said things like, you are so smart, you are so pretty, you are so X, Y, and Z. And what that tells our brains is that this is just naturally how you are. This is how you are born. Because how do you change something, especially as a kid, how do you change something like being pretty or being smart? Whereas alternatively, if you used growth mindset verbiage, that would look something more like, it looks like you put so much effort into this and it really shows. Or you worked so hard on this. Congratulations. Or this was such a challenge and you really pushed yourself, etc. Any one of those phrases put you in that growth mindset because then your brain looks at that and says, oh, effort is a good thing. Whereas with a fixed mindset, effort is a bad thing, right? Because that means you are not naturally gifted at something. So now you know all about the signs and the causes of perfectionism. Let's talk about how do you stop being a perfectionist? And it's always going to be a part of you, right? But don't let yourself get into that black and white thinking. Allow yourself to stay in that gray area because perfectionism does not have to be toxic. You don't have to stay a maladaptive perfectionist, right? You can become an adaptive perfectionist. The biggest tool that you have in overcoming perfectionism is being aware because now you have the ability to work towards that growth mindset and away from a fixed mindset. And listening to this episode is a fantastic place to start because maybe you heard some nugget of information that you can latch onto and that's your step one. Maybe you went through that list and you were like, you know what? I'm very much a black and white thinker or I am a micromanager or you know what? I am judgmental quite often. Maybe you pick one of those things and that's where you start. But ultimately, be kind to yourself. Everyone struggles with this to some extent. So give yourself the grace and the patience to work on it. Allow yourself to make mistakes. Just ask yourself, can I do a little better than last time? And embrace all of your imperfections along the way. I have found by doing so that my anxiety has drastically improved. So maybe that'll be something that you can strive for, right? Maybe I'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other when I'm working on this with my ultimate goal being to reduce my anxiety and embrace challenges and work to accept failure as an exciting opportunity, because this is a chance for you to grow and expand on what you can learn. And again, that is an indicator of a growth mindset. And ultimately, if you really want to push through perfectionism, getting to a growth mindset is key. Embrace the creative process. Your first iteration is just a draft. It does not have to be perfect. So just start. Brene Brown mentions a motto in her book, Dare to Lead, which I will link in the show notes because it's a fantastic book. And no, I don't get any sort of kickback on that. So this is completely an authentic review of that book. But the motto she has is that everyone has a shitty first draft of the stories they tell themselves. And I love that, a shitty first draft. That's the intent you should have going into the creative process. 
I'm just going to get started and create that shitty first draft. And then I'll just continue to prove upon that because you can always tweak. Just don't spend too much time on the tweaking, right? (laughs) We don't want to get into that. We don't want to perpetuate that perfectionism. And the last tip I have for you for overcoming perfectionism is give yourself timelines and include deadlines. Count to five and just start. I can't remember whose thing that was, but they're like count to five and just immediately go. Don't allow your brain to second guess it. I'll post whoever that was in the show notes because the name is just not coming to me right now. Don't start any chores. Don't read one more chapter. Don't do whatever it is that you're trying to use in order to cause procrastination or to prevent you from getting started. Commit to a strict timeline and deadlines. Make that commitment to yourself and stick to it. If you need an accountability buddy or if you need to post your goals online, that's an example of where social media can be helpful for you. Use those things to hold you accountable and keep you committed to the timelines. That way, you know when to stop and to just go. Nothing's going to be perfect, so you might as well just put it out there. So wrapping it up, awareness is half the battle, guys. You have everything within you that you need to overcome the overwhelm and to rewire your brain away from perfectionism and to become a recovering perfectionist. And I'm excited to share this with you today because I really think that we could have a healthier society and really work through some of the mental health issues that we're having as a nation by addressing these core issues for each of us. So I hope you join me in becoming a recovering perfectionist as well. And if you do want additional resources on this topic, I highly recommend The Perfectionism Project. That is a podcast by Sam Laura Brown, and she has tons of great information about perfectionism. She gets really into the weeds about various topics around perfectionism, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're just someone trying to get shit done in business. She has tons of topics around perfectionism. So if you're really loving this, head over, check out her stuff. I will link it in the show notes. That way you can continue your journey to become a recovering perfectionist. Thank you all so much for sticking with me today as we discussed perfectionism. I look forward to bringing you more mindset topics like this in addition to money and manifestation topics. If you enjoyed this, I would really appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have already, thank you so much. Please screenshot it, email it to me, and I will in return send you our seven tips for creating space for abundance. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me today, and I will catch y'all next Monday. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with new episodes. As always, we would love it if you would share this episode with friends and family who could use the inspiration. As a new podcast show, we would really appreciate your honest feedback so I know what you like and what you could use more of. As a thank you for leaving us a rating, we will send you our seven weekly tips to create space for abundance. Make sure you screenshot your review and email it to us at hello at the T-H-E modernmanifestation.com so we can send them straight to your inbox. If you'd like to stay connected, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Modern Manifestation, or you can head to our website at themodernmanifestation.com. Thanks again for joining me, and I will catch y'all in the next episode.